<laughs> I don't get it. I, I have no idea exactly how this will be when this gets out of the edit. Because goddammit, if the recording is the goddamn nightmare. Привет. The perspective that you get here regarding films may be uh, fairly unique. It most definitely will hold true tonight because, well, Finland and Russia have some history and once again we look at the Russian film in the podcast. And of course, here in the background somewhere there is Henrik, I think. Yeah, who finally managed to show up on the recording booth after well, making a complete fucking nightmare about getting this episode in the air and, you know, getting us together because I am the one who managed to mess up the schedule today completely. And because of that, we are starting pretty slowly and and way too late. Well, <clears throat> we did have a lot of technical problems here, so we are starting because of technical problems about an hour late as well. But yeah, my, my uh, apologies. Yeah, no problem. Life is not so serious. We have our serious business outside of this podcast. Yeah, who who knows where the situation will go with our board marathon, but Yeah. Who knows? Maybe maybe we'll do a Russian marathon one day. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've seen this film about seven years ago. I had some kind of a Russian film interest going on. I, I did watch Brat, the first one, and Brat 2, and I saw Come and See which I believe is called Idis Motri, and a couple of others. And tonight's film is The Prisoner of the Mountains. There's an alternative title, Prisoner of the Caucasus, which is the title for the Tolstoy short story, which this film is based on. And Never seen this one before. The Ru- Russian film industry altogether is kind of a <clears throat> shameful back hole in my Civil, uh, in my movie civilization. So I take it you are not familiar with uh, Sergei Bondrov Sr.'s directing works altogether? Un- unfortunately not. I haven't even seen Mongol, which is supposed to yeah. be, I-, I guess, his most well-known film worldwide. And I- I I've missed even, even that one because I'm a kind of a pathetic film buff on that regard. Hmm. So it's an anti-war film where two Russian soldiers get captured in the mountains by an Islamic father who wants to <clears throat> trade them for his son. And the film was nominated for an Academy Award. Sergei Bodrov Jr. did win the Russian Nika Award, which is the same as the Oscars, basically, in Russia. Well, let's talk about Sergei Bodrov Jr. was born 71 and is the son, as mentioned, of director Sergei Bodrov, who is directing this film. And um, after this film, he, Sergei Bodrov Jr., did the aforementioned Brat 1 and Brat 2. And the Brat films made him really well known and loved in Russia. He studied architecture, right? Venice architecture. 
And he also managed to direct one film by himself. It's called uh, Sisters or Siostre. And in 2000, Mr. Bodrov played a leading role in the a second Oscar-nominated film. It was called East-West, in which the French director... I have no idea how to pronounce this Regis Wagner. <laughs> the director told the story of Russian exiles who returned to the Soviet Union after Second World War. And uh, they will face the Stalin's persecution. And uh, he was about to do his second film, uh, Messenger, as a director, for which he traveled to Caucasus Mountains. He described this film as being some kind of a philosophic, mystical parable about life of two friends. And they are romantics, travelers and venturers. And they will be facing bandits and hostages and things that accompany us in life. They film sounded kind of interesting, but then after finishing his second day of shooting, there was an avalanche due to a glacier slide, and it swallowed the whole production crew, including Sergei Badrov Jr. in 2002. I didn't know about this accident until I had already seen a couple of his films, and I was quite shocked. Like, horrible. But he still, he survived by his wife and two children, a girl and a boy. And of course, uh, there is uh, the father of his, still very active in movie making. Nobody was found and there were some people who left the set earlier than a couple of other people and I'm not sure if they survived but they were really excited to go spend the weekend and take the weekend off from filming and they left. I don't know who survived or didn't but Sergei Bodrov Jr. and most of his film crew was completely swallowed by the avalanche and died. Then we have Oleg Menshikov playing Sasha Kostelin. This is an experienced Russian actor, has played a leading role in Burned by the Sun from 94. This is about a revolution hero in Soviet times who gets accused of being a foreign spy. This did win an Academy Award for Best Foreign Film, 94. There's also a legend number 17, which is a biopic of Valery Karlamov, the Russian ice hockey legend, and he died before his time. Also, he is acting in the Russian sci-fi epic called Attraction, and there's a sequel coming up, Attraction 2. It's called Pritya uh, Zhenye. Then we have, uh, uh, this is a tricky one to pronounce, but Jemal, uh, Jemal Sikarulitse plays Abdul Murat. I could not find much about this guy except that he did act as early as in the 60s and has only nine acting credits that I could see and died in 2008. And then we have Susanna Mekarlieva, I believe, and her only acting credit is this film. She was born in 83. She's actually a person that was a local person in this village and and they found her i think that was a little bit disturbing in this film because the girl is what 10 years old and uh, sergey potrov is 25 so i didn't really understand it other than using it as a plot device to get out of the village i think he's just saying the nice things just to please her and make better relationships at this village i don't know there is some Pretty long gazes that the soldier gives towards Dina, especially yeah. on the later parts of the film. Yeah. So yeah, th this was just an unexperienced girl from that actual village. And there was an incident where 
the Sergei Bodrov, the director, was taken as a hostage. Yeah, I don't know if you knew that. that they filmed in this real Caucasian village near Chechnya or Chechenia, Chechen border. The village soldiers were getting jealous that the village girl, Susanna, was getting paid more than they were. But they were able to come into an understanding and Bodrov has said that it was mostly his fault because he didn't understand the local dynamics that such thing could be an issue. Somebody getting paid much more than somebody else. The local people didn't like that so they locked the director up in a cell and then they released him once they got into an understanding. But yeah. That's kind of interesting because that makes that makes the kidnapping kind of a running theme in this story because the original short story by Tolstoy was also based on a true yeah. true kidnapping that did happen. So there there is a kidnapping in the basic story and then there is a offset kidnapping behind the scenes of a film that deals with a kidnapping. And Sergei Bodrov is also known for Mongol The Rise of Power, which we discussed a little bit earlier. The Rise to Power of Genghis Khan from 2007. Mongol 2 is currently in pre-production. Also he directed Freedom is Paradise from 89. This is a film about a kid who gets taken to a state-run children's home with with a rigid regimen. So he wants to escape it and look for his father. And... uh, Bodrov has also written uh, Shizo or Shiza, I think it's in Russia. It's a film about a 15-year-old bare-knuckle fighter who sees one guy get killed in a fight and this changes his life. And uh, at the time of the collapse of the USSR, it was hard to finance films. But Sergei Bodrov got lucky. He had some kind of a contact, a friend, who gave him 1.5 million dollars to do the film. Because, yeah, this is made in 96. Cinematography is done by Pavel Lebeshev. He has done Neshni Vosrast, The Gentle Age from 2000. Uh, Nat Temnoi Vodoi from 1993. But perhaps most notable work is The Barber of Siberia. It's directed by another heavyweight director from Russia, Nikita Mikhalkov. And music is Leonid Desyatnikov. He graduated from Leningrad Conservatory, did four operas, and scored films like Van Gogh's Target. Uh, Target is a two hours and 38 minutes long Russian sci-fi, once again. And uh, also scored His Wife's Diary from 2000. It's a kind of a love story. And then there is uh, his description of his own musical style. It's like a, quote, emancipation of consonants, transformation of banality and minimalism with the human face. Very fancy. I have completed the cast and crew on my part. Anything to add or scene by scene? From my end, it would be scene by scene. This is a film where basically the entire covering of cast and crew lies upon you, Kari. Oh, I see. (laughs) So, I'm rolling the film on my end on the background as we go through the scenes of the film. So we go through these scenes like one by one basically and uh, I will give you some descriptions. So first the film starts with the doctor scene. We have a bunch of naked soldiers getting inspected if they are fit for the service. 
Henrik, well, there's a bunch of naked guys. How was it for you? It, it for me, it was bunch of guys, but not naked. And uh, then we get to playing pool scene. We are introduced to Sasha, and and there's somebody shouting, and we already see what kind of a character he is. He just starts shooting in the direction where he hears this the noises in this nightly scene. It's surprise how long he has been able to be in the army with such of a behavior. But he's supposed to be the more experienced one here. Right, Henrik? Yeah, he's supposed to be a seasoned veteran. And I actually can quite see how he how he has managed to stay in army for quite so long. You you may disagree with how Shasha operates throughout the film. And yep. y- you can have your opinion on exactly how professional he is as a soldier. But there is the military, at least on my experience, it kind of tends to love these roguish personalities in it. And Sasha kind of plays into that trope. Sasha is, is this easygoing veteran soldier who is easy to like by other soldiers. And because of this... It is kind of easy to believe that he, this is like his third war that he goes through. Yeah, and acts, acts like it. And, and acts like it. Probably w- would be arrested immediately for such a behavior. Yep. Okay, so then we get to driving with the tank scene. There's a Russian song playing. It's around uh, 4 minutes and 30 seconds. Then we have the ambush. And there's Caucasians, Chechens versus Russians. And uh, so a little bit of a history time might be needed. So after the dissolution of the USSR, the Chechen area was split into two parts. And the other part, the Chechen Republic, then proclaimed that the Chechen Republic of Ichkeria is now an independent nation. And it sought for independence. And it, it de facto got it after the first Chechen war between 94 and 96. But then the new government failed to keep order. There were kidnappings of violence and Sharia law, uh, public executions. And then Russian control was taken back after the Second Chechen War in 99 to 2000. And sporadic fighting happens even to this day in the mountains and southern regions. This film is filmed in what I suppose was the more safe region to do the film in the nearby Republic of Dagestan. It's east from Chechnya. But kind of the, since the wars now have been mentioned, I, I guess one thing that maybe should be noted and which may affect on why the wars are so everlasting and why they are so hard for us to approach is that I've come to understand that there is there has been a lot of negative history between this region and Russia, even way before the actual wars began, kind of hearkening all mm. the way back to the Russian conquest of the Caucasus region. And it all kind of boils down to that Caucasus is a very beautiful region, it has some minerals that are interesting for Russia, so the only reason why they would be so interested about the region, well apart from, I guess, like some kind of a bride, is the natural resources and uh, and uh, tourism. Right now, of course, it's impossible to have tourists around too much. Then we get to the capture scene. 
and the the father is there waiting for to capture some soldiers alive and lucky for him he's able to find even two to disgust of most of the villagers who make the point throughout the film that they want them out as soon as possible and it's the introduction of uh, Susanna or Dina the character that she plays here after that one but um, yeah I I was kind of happy with the performance of Susanna in this film it is surprisingly good like it's it's a really good performance once again someone who essentially is a child actor and child actors typically are a mixed bag like they, they can be extremely good or they can be horribly bad yeah perhaps kind of a easy performance in the sense that she kind of got to play herself in a way or somebody from a close by region so it may have come some of those notions from the heart. Yeah, it's it's kind of hard to say how much of her performance was her being herself and how much it was the character, since we don't know the actual actress. Yeah, we see some praying, we see some nothing or sewing, different kinds of ways to spend time and make your economy going around there. Hassan is being ordered to check on the prisoners. While Vanya winks at Dina. And this is kind of immediately giving us the connotation that, well, at least for me it was like that he's trying to make a connection with the girl so he can use her to get out. You you can read it that way, but I, I somehow watching this film, I couldn't actually escape the feeling that the, the movie was trying to set up kind of a romantic feelings between the two. That cannot be denied, of course, as it yeah. comes blatantly obvious near the end, with the notion at the end that he will be missing those people that he there met and came to know and love and cannot see them ever again. Since we already are touching the ending of the film, also with the notion that when he finally has the chance to actually re-escape the village knowing that he's facing his own death if he stays in the village he still chooses to stay in order to not to get Dinah in any trouble while Dina has these kind of ideas that are very anti-Russian such as that they have pig's blood and she does make a kind of a anti-Russian statements or hateful spiteful statements until the end but at the end, she doesn't even really believe in what she's saying and then just lets it go. And we'll see what happens then. But uh, now we're, the soldiers are in the barn. Or how would you describe this? It's a shack. Some kind of an animal barn, isn't it? Something liking that, yeah. And Sasha doesn't want to help Vania to clean his face. I believe it's the first case of scorn between these characters. Yeah, they are on and off hostilities that happen between the two soldiers. Yeah, this very selfish selfish soldier, Sasha, who does turn around nearer the end and they become pretty good buddies. But Sasha always maintains this very soldier-like attitude and is ready to kill Hassan in the end, even after all the friendly handshaking that they've been doing. Uh, altogether, from these two soldiers... Shasha is the one who actually does all the killing on their part. Yeah, that's true. The Sasha that makes the mention that he is so important that 
the Russians will rescue him in the exchange, but uh, since Fania is kind of worthless newbie, he will be executed, his balls will be taken and fried, or whatever the case might be, but it turns out that uh, Vanya is the one who is sort of victorious at the end. In the end, yeah. Uh, Shasha, altogether throughout this film, Shasha is kind of a hard character to pinpoint. Like, like to say what type of a person he is, because there is these two sides that are constantly in contact with each other. Partly, Shasha is being an asshole throughout the film. On a different note, at the same time, he's also being friendly, he's being caring, and there, there is there is almost this kind of a... Shasha appears to have this love-hate relationship with Vanya throughout the film, and you never actually are completely sure how much of Shasha's attitudes are real and how much of it is simply Shasha putting up an act. Yeah, it's kind of act at some places and sometimes he, he's re- truly pissed off and yeah, I, I really don't like people like Sasha, I have to say, but who does? Like keeping this act and having some certain principles that make you run over nice people. I, I on the other hand, I kind of grew to like Sasha as the film went on. Mm. I, I, was kind of, I, I was very against the character of Sasha. In the beginning of the film, but as as the film proceeded and as we got more and more of the character, once the character's edges kind of started to soften and he started to become more caring and taking more notice in Vanya, I kind of started my I myself also started to soften up to the character. Yeah, you still kind of have to because at the end it's. Vanya who puts uh, Sasha in harm's way and eventually Vanya gets Sasha basically killed because of the misfire and he takes it pretty pretty in a cool way. Uh, altogether, Sasha takes the entire war and their, their situation altogether quite cool-headedly. Then we are introduced to Vanya's mother. She's a school teacher and reads the letter that she has received from Vanya out loud to the class. Unfortunately, the next letter that she gets is not exactly something that she would like to read, which states that she has been taken as a hostage in the mountains. Somehow, was it the father, the Abdul, who sends these letters to the families? It is, yeah. Yeah, that was the letter business. And we wait for the toilet, and Abdul Murat's friends arrive and they give a lot of hateful speech towards the Russians. Dina gives bread to the boys to help them stay alive. Hassan approves. It's revealed that Abdul wants to trade the soldiers for his son. And so it is revealed the actual plot point here. And Sasha scares Vanya, saying all this, oh, they don't need you and uh, they will cut your balls off. And that's that scene. And kind of shows the, I don't know, that the other party is really cold-blooded, really pro-military, or just an asshole. And the other one is the still-scared new soldier, very scared of the situation in a way, but also very much able to maintain his composure and to even smile at these people that uh, basically have kidnapped him 
so he can find the beauty around him. The kidnapping here, uh, most more notably the motives behind the kidnapping are kind of interesting in this film, since, as, as you mentioned before, this is based on Tolstoy's short story. And from what I've understood of the short story, in Tolstoy's original, the kidnappers do act simply out of greed in order to get money. And they are kind of uh, showcased in this dehumanizing fashion. They are being compared to barbarians, essentially, in the Tolstoy story. And something that I, I found when searching the director and reading the interviews is that the director wanted to change this dynamic and make the kidnappers kind of more humane and more understandable in the film compared to the short story, and that is kind of the reason why here Abdul has the whole sun situation behind him, because unlike in Tolstoy's story, in here the kidnapping is not done out of greed, but simply out of passion towards your own son, and that need to actually help your kin. And that that is kind of, that's interesting in the sense that, like the film, which very much highlights the point that you kind of need to understand each other, you and you have to see the humanity in the other. Much like the village, through Dina, see humanity, the two Russian soldiers, also the two Russian soldiers have to see humanity in the people of the village. And that kind of mirrors now into this in the director's attitudes, where the, the director also felt that both of the sides have to be humanized, and the kidnapper Abdul needs a human reason for his actions. Yeah, the director did read the short story when he was about six years old, and then came back to it, and decided to make a movie out of it. And uh, sounds like a very cold-blooded story then, and maybe maybe something that is hard to love, then definitely was able to find these I don't know, loving qualities to it. So, hmm, interesting story. There's an aerial shot that shows us that we, we are looking through the eyes of the helicopter crew. The Russians are uh, probably trying to look for these soldiers. And we switch to some more light-hearted scenes. They are already bonding. It's the condom story from Sasha about having some fun with a girl who ran away. And... Uh, gives his own contribution that maybe when they get back they should tell that they captured five guerrilla fighters so they might get a vacation. <laughs> Not sure how that would exactly work. Well, you so could better s- make, make it then. Yeah, you, you could still make the case that you actually managed to capture the enemy before you yourself were captured. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, I can see the plan working on here even though I can't believe that it would actually actually work. And there is some kind of a trade happening at the moment with the Russians or what looks like this, but they didn't bring the villagers' son, so it's all for nothing. The two soldiers were waiting for the exchange there, but some something happened, it didn't go through. But yeah, that's because the son was not there. Yep. After which we get the notion of Vanya being able to, or being good at fixing clocks, and he fixes this... Uh, one clock, spending time, and smiles to Dina once again. Uh, the villagers then make more notions that the Russians are dangerous, and 
the tensions are kind of rising around there and the father Abdul has to start making some decisions but he really doesn't care and uh, th later on this is shown to affect also Dina's character when she's walking by in the village and the boys are giving him a, uh, her a hard time when they are calling her out that oh you're just taking water to the Russian prisoners so but something needs to be done and um, now the soldiers are writing the letters and uh, there are lies about sending letter to his parents which he kind of doesn't have because later it's revealed that Sasha is an orphan so uh, seems to be a touchy subject for him because he could have just said it right there but uh, it becomes after this bonding once again this uh, little bit of uh, love needs to be constructed here before we can get to this intimate touchy subjects father goes to the commander goes past the soldiers checkpoint i'm not sure what kind of a part of this uh, city this is or this village this is but uh, it's some kind of a military checkpoint for and in which they have some military offices it is i i, I took it that it is it is a village that now is under russian occupation and that would be the reason for the checkpoints and for basically the military personnel to exist within the village. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, but like you said, it's the movie never actually points out what the city is and it even doesn't go that much into detail about what is the situation on this area at all. Like, you, you know that there is a war going on, and you know that there is the Russian forces, and then there is the local guerrillas, and they are at odds with each other. But the actual background to the whole conflict, or the nature of the conflict itself, is never made that clear to you. And that I did find somewhat surprising. This is kind of a film where you already have to know what is the war that is going on, within the film before you start watching it because the film never sure as fuck never actually explains that to you yeah i don't know if it's so so important but it's still like a soldiered area and the father goes past the checkpoint to send letters and uh, makes the notion to the shoe fixer guy that if a russian woman asks me let her know where i am and uh, <laughs> well poor shoe workshopper because no one ever wants him to fix any shoes it's just people only asking for favors <laughs> that, that much is true it must must be one of the lowest paying jobs in the whole city seeing exactly how how hard also coming by the money is even for the guy who sells vodka yeah imagine you know destroying a family business because you set up a checkpoint somewhere and like 80 percent of people cannot enter anymore these are yeah but the, the, again that is what typically happens in in occupation areas yeah indeed more often than not indeed not to point fingers to any countries at this point oh no no a silver necklace and two russian slaves that is the point that dina makes that she has for a potential marriage i suppose as a kind of a gift for for the marriage i'm not sure uh, yeah, the downry, basically. Mm. And Dina wants to marry very hard, but there is nobody suitable for her. And local boys just make fun of her. At this point, Dina is still acting as if the Russian slaves are nothing more than just mere objects to her, which they very well might be, but as the story goes on, 
less and less so. Hassan has no tongue, was cut off, but still has the balls to joke whether his balls were also cut off. I don't know. Or then he has extremely dark humor. Yeah. You never know because Hassan's balls are never shown. <laughs> that was one of the more interesting moments of the, of the film. In a way that he is able to laugh to this joke. And I'm glad he did. I mean, it shows that he has the ability to laugh at himself and still to, you know, consider people as separate units, not just members of a particular country. It's also surprisingly critical notion towards Russia, since mm-hmm. the place where Hassan's tongue was cut out, apparently, even without, without any good reason, was a Russian prison. Yeah, and there's a guy who tries to shoot at... <sighs> okay, what the fuck, Craig? Okay, so Craig is backstabbing us once again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Come back. <laughs> are, are, are we certain that Craig is simply a bot and not a Russian bot? Because I'm, I'm, I'm actually starting to get nervous here with Craig. So uh, it thinks that he's recording, but he's not recording. Jesus fucking Christ! <laughs> <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> Fuck you, Craig. I guess you're still rolling, so we go with that now. I I, I guess we we have to. I I have no idea exactly how bad this episode will will be when this gets out of the edit. Because goddammit, if the recording isn't the goddamn nightmare. <laughs> so some guy tries to shoot at them, and um, I'm not sure who this guy is, but it's not Abdul as far as my eyes can see. But they later make the notion that. Two of his sons died in the war, and the third works for Russian police, and it has to be has to be Abdul, because Abdul then comes to kill his own son later on. But definitely doesn't look like Abdul to me. But uh, if I remember correctly, it's not Abdul who comes to murder his son at the end. But it is. Is it? Yeah, kills kills his own son, who 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 switched sides and started to work as a Russian policeman. Because I, I could actually almost make a bet that it was someone else. No, no, the, the father comes there and he buys the gun from the shop and then goes to kill his own son. Just so that, uh, I don't know, to, to avenge, I don't know what the fuck was going on there actually. Because after he sh- shoots his own son, uh, or if, what the fuck is actually happening there? No. Because the, the scenario makes more sense if if the if the father who shoots his son is anyone else except Abdul. But that's how the police greets him. That hey, father. That it does. That it does. But but once again. Uh, <clears throat> well, go go. Let's go to the scene then. Uh, we are jumping to the end. Well, let's clear this up. Okay. So we hit. About one hour and twenty-four minutes. Yeah, one hour twenty-six or something, where the mayhem starts. God damn, this is slow. And it it would appear that it is once again it's the goddamn bandit. Oh, so it is. I have completely. Yeah, you 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 can't forget that hat. 
Yeah, so yeah, yeah, this is the same guy that was shooting. Now it all makes sense. Of course. Yeah. Of course. So this bandit is th- just there to... Uh, to kill his own son. But... Because because his son is a goddamn turd goat who joined the police. But then there's another guy that we have never met. He runs away. And apparently this is Abdul's son. That was my take also. The... the Escaping dude who gets shot in the back by the guards is Abdul's son. Yeah, because they give this special close-up for him that spends a little bit time to look at his face. Well, it doesn't do anything to us. We just know that it's somehow supposed to be important. And turns out that now the trading of the peoples is pointless because uh, the target is dead. Yep. Yeah. So that that's clear now. <laughs> Jesus. But we switch back to... A silver... Mom gets a letter that uh, his son has been captured and in the letter asks to tell no one about the letter. After which we just might enter the film's best quote, which is so out of the blue once again. Where Vanya says, my mom will get a letter. And what then? And Sasha responds, then you will get a screwdriver up your ass. (laughs) Sasha wants to come back and kill all the villagers when they get released. Because you have to, because it's war. However, Vanya has completely different ideology here. Vanya doesn't want to kill them. He has already made connections with these people. So, yeah, once again, showing the difference between the characters. Followed by Danny gets shit-talked, which we discussed. Kids getting giving Danny crap for saying that he for delivering water to the Russians. Followed by Sasha gets frustrated in the chains. Once again, Vanya only wants to go to the window. And uh, finally Vanya challenges him. Like, Why are you such a psycho? It's my birthday today. Oh, makes perfect sense. It, it kind of does. <laughs> and I, I, I am happy that the film actually brings this point up. Since uh, kind of how I, I read the scene was that it's not so much of of Shasha simply being asshole as as the tensions finally boiling up with with Shasha and that close proximity to Vanya. The fact that he has to spend every single fucking hour with Vanya, whatever he wants it or not, is what actually actually drives him nuts at this point of story. And this is this is something that is quite typical and quite humane and also surpri- something that surprisingly often these captivity films don't completely skip. L- like the, the characters who are friends or, or are at least from the same side and are being held in captivity together. They s- usually in films, they for some odd reason, they always manage to stay cool-headed. The attitudes towards the each other never actually starts to boil up. And that, from my experience, wh- what this close proximity to other person actually does to you, that is quite unrealistic. And in that sense, I am quite happy that this film tackles this topic and actually shows you that when you are tied to another person for days on end, eventually you actually start to get pretty hostile towards that other. Yeah, sure. I can completely see that. And this would be something that would happen on your birthday, when you want to be left alone, probably. <laughs> yeah, to even to add insult to injury. They found the boo stash quite easily. It just comes out of the blue. 
they drink it. And, <laughs> yeah. 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 You, you pretty much just, you know, try to lean on the wall. Few bricks give in and you immediately found the boostash. <laughs> yeah, that was easy. But since apparently because the Muslims are not very heavy drinkers, at least Hassan doesn't care. He takes all the joy out of the situation. Just watching these two guys getting uber drunk. There's a, a little joke about it. Quote, I have a great idea. After the war, we open a bar here and we call it Hassan's bar. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I kind of get dis- distracted in films when this happens. When there's made some kind of a point that takes us a little bit out of the movie. Because there's this quote, everyone told me I should become an actor. I am very talented. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, yeah, thanks. I mean, you it, are. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a, those fourth wall ba- kind breaking of? moments. Yeah, isn't it? And Hassan, drink or we'll be upset. <laughs> Luckily, Hassan doesn't punish them. And then there's the dancing performance outside. Hassan just keeps smiling, but the other guy's not too excited. Clock is fixed. There's a song playing, but uh, unfortunately don't know the song. More importantly, the, the hands touch at this moment. I don't know if you paid attention, but I did notice that there was this kind of, a, I don't know, awkward, but like a little touch of hands just couldn't go all the way through because we're soldiers here, but... There almost was. There almost was. Yeah. Like, I, I, I also took that, oh my god, are they going to fall in love now, <laughs> reading this scene... But th- this is also interesting scene in the sense that, first of all, the entire scene, it, it shows you the Muslims in more human light one- once again Actually, in this scenario. Since since they allow the two soldiers, which still are, still are being kidnapped and still are captured, to actually have this moment of fun and joy. On top of that, on their expanse, since the soldiers get drunk on the Muslims' booze. But also because, to me, this is kind of, this is the moment in the film where Shasha and Vanya kind of uh, start to become friends. And where the hostilities between the two characters kind of uh, start to reach the point where they cease to exist. It's a good point that you make. There was uh, stories on human rights from 2008, a drama film directed by several directors a kind of a collaboration one of those directors was Sergei Bodrov and from all these kind of things I've gotten the idea that Sergei Bodrov is very liberal and kind of that he wants to depict different sides in a neutral light in his films and projects and does it here too and yeah and that also is my reading based on this film alone because this seems to be very balanced and very nuanced in the way how it wants to present the both sides of this conflict. Yeah, Sasha tries to start a fight, I suppose out of boredom, sheer boredom, outside. And Hassan just is looking like, what are these guys doing? Almost Sasha is breaking the leg of Vanya, or what seems like that. Almost. It, 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 once again, picking a fight with Vanya is a weird scene in the film, even though yeah. it does set up the notion of Yell Louder, which eventually does pay off later in the film. 
the way I reacted to this scene first was that I expected that it would go like this, that they are pretending to have a fight and then Hassan would intervene and they would do something to Hassan and run away. But that never happened. I also suspected that that would have been where the scene was going on. Yeah. But yeah, like you mentioned, never happens. Shasha plays no attention to their fight. And that... I, I don't really know if they even had a plan at this point. One of the more memorable scenes is the next one, when Vanya tells that mom is probably on the way. He keeps saying that about five times in this film. Of course, to keep the spirits up and keep the believing alive. But he then tells the story about the well, when he was a kid and fell into a well and all that. And this kind of bonding happens. And Sasha reveals that he was an orphan and... He actually sent the letter to a cook, whoever that was, some hot girl who died 15 years ago. So, very useful indeed. And um, some artistic cinematography, like the light is switched on when we start and the light goes in and out all the time. And there's a little close-up of the light bulb and all that. I kind of like that. And the wooden bird is given to Dina and... Now the father, Abdul, finds that wooden bird and asks from his daughter, is living with me so hard, which was an interesting notion. So the hate is so deep that the father kind of turns it into a rebellion, I believe, that the bird is there. But eventually it just leaves it be. Which, once again, is it is a small scene, but it's extremely poignant scene in that sense that it, like you said, it, it does highlight exactly how deep the hatred between the two factions is in this conflict. Yeah, followed by the scene where the mom tries to get to his son. Kind of the absurdity of war is at best during this scene. She hits the policeman, which is the son of Abdul as mentioned, hits the policeman with the handbag and leaves very frustrated. And... Mom then goes to look for Abdul Murad, the father, and asks from the shoe fixer once again for help. And the shoe fixer sends the little boy to take her to a tea shop, and they meet in the tea shop. Soldier asks for two bottles of vodka, almost doesn't pay, pays in a handgun currency. Which will be the defining plot point later on. Uh, The Chechen soldiers come to ask for the Russians to clean the landmines. Which is an interesting moment where the Chechen soldiers kind of borrow these two Russians from this villager father and then return them neatly back in full peace. So they clear the road and uh, the soldiers give them a good f- little party and some good food. And uh, basically the leader guarantees their safety for that night. Which leads us to the weirdest scene in this film or more like why was it kept there and there could be several theories but their fighting ring scene there's an invitation to a fighting ring and I do not know why it's kept there it doesn't give me anything we don't already know like that Vanya is young and afraid of facing brutal situations or why Vanya was invited there in the first place, I'm not really sure. Is it just something fun to have at the party when you're not supposed to get hurt? I I guess that was the narrative point 
to it or what they were trying to do plot wise technically basically this scene now is payoff for that scene previously where Shasha was trying to pick up a fight with Vanya because this is now the moment where the line given earlier in that scene yell louder kind of comes into play did you say that when they tried to fight he he does say it when he kicks Vanya in the leg, almost breaking it. Okay, yeah. That, 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 that is, he, he gives it quickly, he simply just say that, you know, next time yell louder or something like that. A completely <laughs> off-handed remark that comes out of the blue and really makes no sense in that moment. And he says it again just as, just as they are entering the ring or the, the area where the ring is based. And in the end, in the scene, that is precisely what what Vanya ends up doing, and it it actually ends up saving him from having to go through with the fight. So basically, it's it's in narrative technical terms, it is a setup, reminder, and payoff. Kind of. And once again, this film is filled with moments where you just need to notice something really quickly and it will be used as an essential point later on. Uh, kind of. And at, at the same time, it's it, it's kind of a weird why why that was in the film. Like, why was it set up and... Or why was it set up in the first place? Mm. Why, why did the director feel that this one line is so important that you really want to have it in your film? Especially as an extra important moment, since there is this setup, reminder, payoff, structure built around that that line. Hard to say, but can be seen as a part of Vanya's growing up, in a sense, to be a soldier. Now he's taking the hint or the advice from Sasha and using that little shout during the match. Maybe now that you mentioned, yeah, yeah, yeah in, in that sense, it does make sense. Yeah, kind of overcoming fear. Yeah, and continuing with that theme, Vanya picking up something from Shasa, it also kind of a... If you take that reading, it mm. kind of gives you this this feeling that there is a point in the type of soldier that Shasha is. Like, as, as a soldier, like mentioned before, Shasa is not an A-grade soldier. He's too easygoing. He's too not caring, he's too rule-breaking in the way how he acts, in the way how he presents himself. Hmm. But with that teaching, you know, next time in a fight situation, just yell louder, uh, it kind of a, comes into a point where Shasa's easygoing and not caring and a war is kind of a joke not to be taken that seriously, attitude comes into a payoff because that is the, that is the mentality where the entire hint of Vanya simply yelling at his opponent comes from. More serious soldier would, would have tried to teach Vanya some hand-to-hand combat to give him a combat tip, like, like hit him in the nose, try to break the nose, hit him in the throat, kick him in the balls. That would that would have been more serious 
tip from a more serious soldier, but Sasha's tip is simply yell louder. And it that is the tip that eventually actually works in the situation. <laughs> yeah, saves himself from trouble for sure. Yup. Vanya then says Dina is very pretty. And step by step this kind of gets, for me, quite a bit more uncomfortable, their relationship. <laughs> like... like in a sense, I understand that the guy is trying to get out of there, but there's obviously other things going on. They have some affection towards one another. And uh, yeah, even closer to the end makes the notion that I would marry you. And we're still talking about, sure, Muslim traditions, but it's a Russian guy saying that to a Muslim Muslim girl who is 13. And why the fuck do we have this age difference stuff so much in this podcast? And uh, the, the soldier Vanya is 25. Yep. And, and you know, traditions be traditions. But I came to this film as a Western viewer. Like, I, I watched this through Western lens. Yeah, so should Vanya. Yeah, and through that lens, the age difference between these two characters, like you mentioned, it is extremely problematic and yeah. uncomfortable. And I found it uncomfortable when I was watching this film. To me, it was the most uncomfortable and most problematic element of the entire film. Mm. I didn't remember this from this film, but now revisiting it for this show. Like, yeah, there it is. And manages to rise as the interesting discussion point that it is. So... Either just making good relations for the sake of making good relations and trying to escape or whatever the case might be. But yeah, there is some more to it. Dancing in the barn in the chains is the next scene where Sasha has found a key of sorts and then just suddenly shows it. Okay, I have a key. Wake me up in one hour or whatever the case is. And there is the answer to all their questions, how to get out of there. Abdul and their mom meet... And Abdul tells that they, they can meet later when everything is ready, whatever that means. And Abdul's son and her are kind of both teachers. Abdul says this doesn't make any difference. And can she trust her? There's no choice but to wait and see. Believable facial expressions. I like the performances all around. They are quite good, e- even though they are kind of... A, they, they are, in many ways, they are... Not that expressing, like, they are kind of holding back their expressions throughout this film. I guess the Russian thing. I, I, I would kind of say also a Finnish thing. Mm-hmm. But when you contrast this film to, for example, an American film of the similar type, you easily can see that the American version would have way more expressions in their actors' faces and... Also, also the musical design of the film would be much stronger and would try to play with your emotions much more. Yeah, good point. Now this hench guy comes to kill the, the son. Yeah, his, his own son. And Sasha reveals he has a son in Cheetah and he's not doing well. So in case anything goes wrong, he is giving Vanya this information so that the help for his son can continue and the commander will give him the address. Of course when they try to escape Hassan immediately comes to ruin the day and Hassan is dropped down by Sasha with uh, very visible cables attached to Hassan when he falls. Mm. <clears throat> but uh, it, it, It's almost like 
Hassan is simply floating to the background on this moment. Like, like the effect of falling is quite bad. Yeah, well, it's okay. It will do the job if you consider it a Matrix type of slow-mo. But, but you're not supposed to take it as a ma- ma- Matrix that type of situation. This ain't Matrix. Oh, come on. We can put some Matrix into any film. <laughs> Sasha kills the Shepard for one bullet and a gun, which is then wasted immediately by Vanya, who fires it by accident like the good soldier he is. <laughs> with the notion, remind me to never run away with you. Sadly, I believe this sh- shooting, this shot is the reason that they get captured then. And Sasha dies due to Vanya's carelessness. But what you're gonna do with these situations are so fragile, so on the brink all the time. You never know how it's going to end up. You might even, I don't know, make one step into the wrong direction and you didn't mean it. You couldn't have seen what would have been the implications. And... Uh, yeah, Sasha is out of the picture. And with this moment, we kind of uh, we close up the the more humane arc with Shasha. Since this is the point where Shasha, who at the beginning of the film has been kind of more assholeish character, now finally comes into full fruition and eventually makes the ultimate sacrifice in favor of Vanya. By taking the blame, uh, by admitting that he is the one who actually killed the shepherd. Yeah, he takes responsibility for for that, and well, would probably say his name anyway. Would have been actually more interesting if Vanya had somehow killed this shepherd, and then Sasha would take the blame. I don't know. It it, it would have been it it would have been even stronger moment for Sasha in that sense. Hmm. But as mentioned, Vanya is kind of the good shepherd here, he's not killing anyone. That that he is, that is. He's a good shepherd, but a bad soldier, essentially. Nevertheless, gets out of the village later on. But here Sasha whistles himself to the sundown and doesn't really seem to have a problem with that. He knew that this would most likely end up badly. You have to consider all the possible outcomes. And Vanya is returned to the village. They talk about rain. There was no rain. There's not going to be rain. But then there is the quote. I would marry you. Ew. Jesus. Uh, yeah. The child marriage raises its head once again. <clears throat> like that, that, that is the aspect of the film that simply gets more uncomfortable as the film goes on. Yeah, it really doesn't make sense to me. I'm just going to pretend that this was Vanya's master plan to get himself out of the shackles. Which he doesn't use in the end. Or, or yeah, he does get out of the shackles, but he doesn't leave the village. Yeah, sits there. It doesn't take long, like less than a minute when when Abdul is there, ready to capture him once again. And there's the funeral of, I believe, Hassan, or is it Shepherd? Could be both of them. Sasha's throat is slit. Goodbye. Once again, a scene that is done surprisingly quickly and with surprisingly little attempts to raise your emotions as an audience member. It's it's kind of, it's a scene that plays out in just a few seconds and with zero fanfare. If you would once again take the contrast in how this most likely would have been done in American film, it's it's come almost like a non-scene in that sense. 
Like, no remarkable close-ups on Shasa's face, no famous last words, no background music. It's just a few simple cuts in a scene that lasts like 10 seconds and then it's over. Well, that's kind of the point, I feel, that it's made to be kind of a everyday situation, which happens a lot during the conflicts, and is something that they kind of do every day, and it's kind of a the calm before the storm, but kind of a, there is this calamity and the calmness at the same time throughout this film. The conflict is there, just like it should be, without much of a fanfare, these guys who do not have any touching point on Sasha, they just kill him, giving the indication of the coldness. That it is, that it is. And I'm I'm not saying it's a bad thing how fi- film handles this. I'm simply surprised I- how kind of restricted the film is. And I- in a way I even applaud that. The the courage to be kind of this... To be casual. this simplistic... Uh, to be this casual, like you said. About, in the end, killing one of your two major characters in the film. Yeah. It to me it does show courage from the director's end to be so casual and and not to succumb into easy tactics of raising the audience's emotions. Yeah, when it comes to Sasha's ghost, I've liked the concept. Maybe he appears a little bit too suddenly after getting killed, like it's literally in the next scene. It's not a problem, but uh, perhaps I could have tried to keep a little bit more air between the actual Sasha and Sasha's ghost in between, but Sasha's ghost is there and he says, you can come with me, and uh, Vanya says, no thanks. Holding on to hope, even now, the dude with his huge clock, and Vanya just makes the comment that regarding fixing the clock, I don't have the time. (laughs) (laughs) So like, yeah, it kind of works in English. It it does. It, It got chuckle out of me. Yeah. <laughs> and the uh, altogether, altogether, since we are talking about jokes in this film, I did find the humor in in the film surprisingly effective, seeing how the grim the actual situation that plays out is and seeing how little in the end there actually is is humor and jokes. But the few they have, I would say they work magnificently. So this is the the bandit comes through the checkpoint to see his son and buys uh, the gun left by the soldier previously somehow got the info that there is a gun there to be bought and then shoots his own son with the great quote preceding it like you call this war attack retreat make peace make war no army can take this Abdul's son also dies when running away and Dina makes in the next scene the notion that uh, his brother is dead, and therefore Vanya has one day to live. Taking us to the final moments, father is now in the village, pissed off after getting the information. Dina is nice enough to give a beautiful burial to Vanya, but Vanya is not too excited about that. Mom is shocked about the situation, understands the consequences here now that the, the father's the Abdul's son has been killed. Dina throws the key after all, after coming into different different thoughts about the situation. Abdul comes in. Vanya doesn't want to run because they'll never forgive Dina for helping him. 
which is actually a good point. But, you know, you could at least save your own ass. Is taking him to be shot, but then shoots into the air and walks away. Ghost of Sasha tells him to turn around to see that he is still alive and father is gone. Russian helicopters arrive to retaliate the village, I suppose. To, yeah, to retaliate the village. And kind of a pretty darkly tying the film to the historical events of once again the Russian conquest of the Caucasus, where where the similar type of situation played originally with Samuel Gottlieb Gemelin, if I pronounce the name right. And to me kind of a brings up this notion how how this situation of violence provided by one side leads into a retaliation and eventually capturing of the said area. Yeah, and kind of is very timely like the story was in Tolstoy's time, depicting the events that he... I don't know if it was happening to Tolstoy himself, but definitely was based on a true story. And uh, it's very timely now as well, since the conflict seems to be going on even today. Unfortunately, yep. Yeah, yeah. this region, or like, as we have noted, and... As we have noticed in this podcast several times before, like Christians and Muslims don't seem to be able to coexist in most situations. It seems like the situation in the former Yugoslavia area and now talking of Caucasus region, the same problems, albeit all of them have extremely complex backgrounds. Yeah, it's... it's... Like we already mentioned in in the Pretty Village, Pretty Flame episode, these are conflicts that you I don't know if you ever can actually fully understand them, and even can you ever actually see them resolved in any way? Because it it appears that there is so much old grudges and so much old hate running in the background that. These conflicts simply, or at least to me, it appears like they are almost today stemming from that old hatred. And if that is the case, then I I somehow, I can't simply see that the conflicts will ever end if that original point of hatred can't be resolved in some way. And I, I'm out of ideas on how you actually would resolve it. This kind of came to my mind when I was reading about Genghis Khan. And the guy has been like dead since, what, the 1260s or 1270s? 1227 is when he died and his crazy empire died with it. And still there are some strong feelings about Genghis Khan's reign in different countries around the world. And uh, a lot of this still carries on to conflicts of today i believe like it it's all this baggage from like fucking 800 years ago and we're still kind of trying to have some kind of a tactics of separation due to those events that took place to which we have no touching point whatsoever personally but so it is and so it goes yeah we are we are supposed to learn from our past but it looking at all, all of this, it kind of starts to look like that 
We are so caught up in the past that we no longer know how to live in the present. If that makes any sense. Very deep, Henrik. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know about deep. <laughs> it, it's grim and it's hopeless. Yeah. It's a good uh, way to end the scene by scene. And I suppose to move to quick categories until unless you have something to say about Prisoner of the Mountains video games. <laughs> I, or toys, memorabilia. Yeah, yeah, so, some nice prisoner of a mountain push-up doll. <laughs> I would like to have this this wooden bird. That you could use that as a prop to to sell. What else could you do? You could I, do I, some. I, I don't know. I, I I would like to have a prisoner prisoner of a mountain 2D side-scrolling arcade jumping game in the vein of Super Mario. <laughs> I would. I'd like to have a Prisoner of the Mountains t-shirt that has this then you will get a screwdriver up your ass quote. <laughs> because th- this is a- a- actually a film you most definitely should capitalize on and made, you know, <laughs> ma- made products out of. Well, you know, Russian films have the trouble of getting financing or did have trouble of getting financing and attention on international stage. <laughs> After seeing what kind of a money you can make with side products a la star wars they could have gone <laughs> through that route I, I i i don't see star wars all of our merchandising opportunities here with the prisoner of the mountain <laughs> what this is not fit for kids yeah <laughs> I, I i i would say this is not fit for a toy line <laughs> but i i don't know um i don't know you could you could try that because it would be so absurd that people would give it attention yeah, today's today's deeper than you indie game market. Maybe someone might even be able to craft something out of this. Oh sure. Because in in many ways, this also this is a film that kind of a, would deserve to be remembered. Yeah. Oh, what better way to bring it to new generation than to uh, keep it alive in the way of video games? Just like something like from from Russia with love and what all these other. Yeah, I mean, the the film itself, it 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 lends itself extremely bad to a video game. Like making a video game about this film, and it, come on, it, it, I'm, it I'm would, already. <laughs> I, I don't know. Yeah. I would hate the idea. But <laughs> at the same time, video games are such of a massive market today that if you would like to introduce new new audiences for the film, maybe soothing them in through a video game could be a good starting point. Well, you know, you could make it like a two-player game as well, or maybe that's not any more popular because every fucking game is just uh, about uh, gaming online. But you could have Vanya and Sasha as characters that try to escape in all kinds of creative ways from the village time after time after time. And it could be this kind of a MGS-style, like, spying game. <laughs> well, or maybe not. Favorite performance is a very tricky subject. Go ahead. Well, okay. In my end, and me, if if this takes time, I was I was smart and busy, and I wrote my notes for my quickies in a bus. Good job. Into my arm and my foreskin. <laughs> so, because that that's what logic tells you to do. So. I, I, I tried to translate this fucking scribbling, but yeah, performance-wise, 
goes to Oleg Menshikov for Shasha. Okay. Yeah, I suppose it, it does go to him. I mean, all credit to Sergei Bodrov for his performance as well. And he has been a huge icon in Russia. But it has more to do, I think, about his personality, how he portrays kind of his his self and how it clicks with the youth of Russia or how he depicts being a member of of being young and somehow I think he plays that part very well if that makes any sense basically he's he's being a lot himself here and it works but as far as like performance performance I think Oleg Menshikov is doing the heavy lifting Noting how this is the only film where I've actually seen Sergei and I haven't watched the brother films, I simply have to take your word for it. Mm, Yeah. But how about favorite scene, Henrik? It is here somewhere. Uh, Where the fuck did I wrote that one? (laughs) Well, fuck me. Uh, 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 No, that was the best. Exemplifies... God damn, my arm is a fucking mess. <laughs> you really did that, okay. <laughs> I most definitely did it. <laughs> I, I'm regretting it at this point, but you know, what, what can I say? <laughs> I, and, I was and, in a hurry and I was desperate. Uh, <clears throat> and, and when you're chewing on your summer cottage sausage during the <laughs> midsummer... <laughs> You are still reminded of the flick lab. You can't let it go, even then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that is the point when I finally got to read what was my favorite scene. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for me, I didn't write anything down, but um, maybe I'll go with the scene where they are still in the shackles and dancing with the costumes on and being very drunk and Sasha is smiling at the situation because that's a very humane situation and also now Vanya has fixed the clock for the guy so there's a lot of goodwill happening yeah yeah uh i actually did manage to find my my note from my arm mm. it, it reads scene that there is vug <laughs> and I've tried to draw a puddle of vodka, but the ink has started to spread and it looks like a penis at this point. But from these notes, I can conclude. It, it is also, it, it's the same scene. It's, it's the getting drunk in the barn and later on dancing with those ro- ropes on you scene from the film. Yeah, okay. <laughs> God damn it, this is professional. <laughs> <laughs> Favorite quote. <laughs> you well, can't fit it in your arm, right? I, I managed to fit it into my arm. But <laughs> the handwriting is pretty pretty awful. But it's it's from from the first appearance of Shasha's ghost. I am dead now. Uh, uh no, no. Ah uh, fuck, I'm <laughs> reading this wrong. Sorry. Uh, I, I am dead, but I like it. Everything is peaceful now. Mm. I did list a bunch of these quotes. I would go with... You call this war? Attack, retreat. Make peace, make war. No army can take this. Coming from... Uh, from the general who never actually got named in the film. Yeah, the unnamed general. 
favorite kill? That would be Shasha. Still the... I, I, I guess the most emotional kill in the film. Yeah, that guy was just pretty good-hearted fella, as far as I could see. In the end, and yeah. There he floats to his death. Uh, for me, I would have to go with the same one, just because. Floating death. Are you now mixing Shasha and Hassan? Oh, you didn't say Hassan. No, no, I, I try, I, at least I tried to mention Shasha. Oh. Or something, something in that vein, because the goddamn name pronunciation is once again failing me. Oh, well, yeah, I go with Hassan and uh, him flying to his death in this podcast. A uh, random confusing question. Any suggestions? <laughs> Not at this point. Mm. Well, Gary, would you ever consider taking yourself a child bride? I don't know where the question came into my mind. I mean, I had something like this, but it doesn't make any sense. No. <laughs> we are going to burn in hell for some day for this. Let's not try to waste any time if the quality of these questions is going to be the same. So first image that comes to mind. It is the very last shot when... Vanya runs after the helicopters. <clears throat> yeah, okay. For me, it the first one that blinked into my brain was the scene where Hassan drops to his death, but because that's only because I mentioned it as my favorite kill, I will switch to the next shot that I see. And that's always, when I think about this film, it's always the tanks that are arriving somewhere near the village, I guess. And then they get attacked after that. Just the tanks going about their business. Which image best exemplifies this film? To me, it is it is the same scene that was my pick for the first image. One year mm. running after the helicopters as they are heading towards the village. To me, it kind of boils down one of the core messages of the film, which is, which is the seeing the humanity in your enemy. And how basically... All the major authorial figures in the film precisely fail to do that. And that always leads up into just more heartache. The military fails to see the villagers as anything more than shrewd brutes and barbarians. Which leads them not taking the hostage situation that seriously and not even believing that any exchange would be possible. And where that leads to is the military not actually saving Vanya, Shasha getting killed, and eventually the whole village burning to the ground as the military starts its uh, helicopter attack. That's a good one. I'll go with Vanya in the bottom of that, whatever it is. And then Dina looking down at him there at the closing moments of the film. There's there's also this humanity, and there, there's also exemplified the situation that this guy is in for the most of the running time. Two in one. Three adjectives to describe the film. Heartwarming, desperate, mountainous. So, in my end, the three adjectives would be light, because even though the subject matter was extremely hard, I, I kind of felt that the presentation was kind of light-hearted throughout most of the film. 
this wasn't very heavy-handed film. It's a it's a film where presentation is light, but the feelings are hard, if that makes sense. And sad, because in the end it is extremely sad film, both what happens and both in what it ends up saying about human condition and our ability to actually make anything about these wars. And finally stubborn, in more ways than one. Oh right, want to expand that stubbornness? Uh, well, the characters are pretty stubborn throughout the father, the military, the village, and well, the film is stubborn in its presentation, even to a point that it stubbornly keeps up with that uh, romance aspect between Dina and Vanya. What took you out? Nothing really. This isn't the strongest film I've seen while making this podcast, but also I didn't face a moment that would actually take me out of the picture. Yeah, well, if anything, I guess it could have also been tighter, but also benefits from the slow flow. It's about getting into vibes in the village, after all. What pulled you in? I I guess that would be the the getting drunk scene. when And the moment when Shasha and Vanya finally close that friendly bond between the two. And that, that hostility towards Vanya from Shasha's end kind of comes to its conclusion and later on ceases to exist. Nothing that specifically, but the scene where they were escaping with with Sasha and then getting the shepherd killed, the tension was quite high there. So that I noted watching this film, so that pulled me in for sure. Kind of very late in the movie, pulling you in and scene. Yeah, like many things pull me in here, so I'll just go with, with that in this case. Scissors of Sacrilege, what would you change in the film? I don't know if I would change anything. Like, yeah. Yeah. This, this, this film once again falls into that category of movies where you can't point out anything specifically wrong with the film. Even though you might not be fully on board with the movie, you still can't kind of say that this is the aspect that the film simply does badly. Which usually is a sign of a pretty strong product. Or just uh, simply a film that has so <laughs> original sto- story or execution that you cannot point your finger at anything. A la carte, Uncle Boon me, but that's not the case here. It has a pretty traditional way of going about things, but I can't name anything specifically. But uh, if anything, I would cut maybe out then the... The, the fighting ring scene, and maybe the related fighting between Vanya and Sasha. But I don't know, I just, that brought something in, in, in as well. Yeah, uh, something that I actually might, might feel that the film could be stronger if it were not there. Uh, and once again, this is my first one coming to the film point talking, but still... <sighs> It, it, it did make, make me uncomfortable and I didn't see that much necessity for it in the film. Would be the hinted romance between mm. Dinah and Vanya. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't, didn't get it. Uh, I mean, it sticks out like a sore thumb. Yeah. You really know you're watching The Prisoner of the Mountains when... To continue with the last note, 
when you start chipping a soldier and a fucking child. Mm. You really know you're watching The Prisoner of the Mountains when, yeah, you see the infatuated face of a Russian soldier staring upwards into a Muslim girl of age 13 or so from his jail pit. And it's it's kind of a sad notion to make on a film that this strongly wants to be an anti-war film. And in a film that basically uh, that has a message that you pay essentially support. And then when you talk about the film, you repeatedly come down into this one aspect and one point of the film. But, you know, what can you do? It yeah. really was hard to watch. Even though yeah. nothing fucking happened, but still the the implications made. The funny thing is that when you watch those scenes, your brain doesn't quite compute that, and it's uh, trying to look for alternative theories why that is taking place. For example, I was thinking when he said that he would marry her, that it would mean that, okay, when you get to a certain age, I would perhaps marry you, or... Then this other theory that I constantly use is that the guy is just trying to get out of there. But that's not the case because it's so explicitly stated at the end of the film. Yup. And maybe that says a lot about us as movie watchers. Exactly how far we were, when checking out the film, how far we were going on simply to avoid admitting to us what most likely is going on in the scene. Yeah, um, I'm just gonna say it's confusing. What? That's what it is. Did you look at your watch? I did not. Same here. Henrik, episode 49. Would you recommend The Prisoner of the Mountains? <clears throat> I, I I would recommend the film. It's, it's not the strongest recommendation I've given in this podcast. Uh, and I, I can't pinpoint any particular aspect as to why why recommend the film itself and I can see that the message the film is delivering it could be delivered in a stronger and even better film than A Prisoner of the Mountains but I I still do recommend watching this film it's it's kind of a lukewarm recommendation from my end in the end I guess I wouldn't say that you have to go to the end of the world to check this film out. It, it's not that level of good, but but if you do choose to check it out, I I guess I, I would believe you wouldn't be disappointed. And this is a film that still merits to be seen. I don't know if it makes sense to you, but this film is consciously going into this, if it makes sense, lukewarm direction mood-wise. Like... For example, when the prisoners escape, there is not this triumphant uh, horn music playing, uh, exemplifying the heightened tension at the situation. No, it's going into this more uber-realistic uh, way of filmmaking, kind of a documentary-esque, what it is doing here. That being said, taken into account the location here in the Caucasus Mountains, I mean, the cinematography still could have been a hell of a lot better and you could take the mountains into equation and and use it to your advantage but uh, i don't see it well i don't see it utilized as much as you could have and the location is very special here and it makes a character of its of its own in the film there aren't probably too many films that are filmed in such locations so it's kind of a 
like somebody said in the Roger Ebert uh, interview, that it's kind of a privilege to be in this location with the film. I greatly enjoy that, but I, as, as like you, I, I feel that the film could have been a little bit, I don't know, tighter in places and could have uh, delivered higher emotions there, there at is, points. Yeah, there, there's kind of a... I would almost say there is this... There is this kind of a restricted and even cold attitude to, towards filmmaking that I've seen previously in, in Russian films. And in, in that sense, I, I would say that this is, in its essence, in, in the way how the film feels as you watch it, it feels very Russian movie. And that is actually somewhat surprising to note, seeing how this was done after the director had ventured to America to make somebody to love there. And the director himself noted that while filming in America, he kind of, in there he learned to pay more notice to the audiences and that audience experience. Okay. Yeah, yeah maybe that is something that is visible in in his uh, Genghis Khan film, which I absolutely have to check at some point. Yeah, but uh, indeed, a recommendation from me as well. There are things it could have done better, but um, um, it's one of those more memorable films for me from Russia, most definitely. Still looking forward to doing the Come and See episode, this Russian film that has been very highly evaluated, which has been listener-recommended and uh, recommended by me as well. So hopefully we'll get to that someday. A very anti-war film as well. Okay, who knows, maybe on our next international cinema challenge. Who knows? Henrik, we have done 49 episodes. Uh, hard to believe, but we have made it so far. Does that mean that we are gonna close the show after this one? Yeah, thank you and good night. Yeah. It was a good run. It was. Now I'm burned out and... No, what, I'm afraid, no? I'm afraid uh, the shop is still open and... Uh, I will do my darnest to keep you here for the next 50 episodes. God damn it. <laughs> In that case, it must mean that the next episode is our celebratory and self-masturbating 50th anniversary episode. We know how to be very excruciating. <laughs> the, ne the next episode is episode 50, ladies and gentlemen. So it's time to take a little break of the as per usual and time to delve into you dear listener and a little bit of what we do and a little bit of how the experience has been and perhaps maybe even taking a self-reflection on ourselves what we could do better here at the laboratory so that will be the also ready to love it finnish accent once again and this time we ain't even touching any films that it is so it will be something special we don't know exactly how it's going to turn out but um, it's our first time trying something like this so bear with us i think it will be a lot of fun we will have a lot couple of games to kind of reminisce and turn the clock backwards and look at what we've done and see if we actually remember anything of it so yeah who, who knows maybe we even managed to make some deep insights about podcast making yeah if you're into that sort of thing yeah uh, th then again see seeing how it's the two of us that we are talking about I wouldn't make any promises about deep discussions. Oh, oh really? <laughs> <What? laughs> 
I think we have had pretty good discussions here. Although it is kind of kind of funny getting into these extremely deep discussions about topics that you know pretty much the basics, but uh, you need to bend your sword about these topics for like two hours and thirty minutes in some cases. Well, I, I don't know. Maybe maybe in a blessing to our listeners, the next episode will be the shortest episode in the podcast's history. <laughs> I, I've gotten some feedback about the length of our show. I have also gotten some feedback about the length of our show, and there is also a lot of respect for the length of our show. <laughs> yep, that, that much is given. Yeah. Road has been long, but there are still many things to learn, most definitely. And a lot of things have already been learned, I feel. So that is one discussion point for that evening. But not for this evening. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. And uh, our next film is not going to happen in the next episode. But for our listeners who are already thinking past our episode 50 masturbation, the episode 51 will be The Spy Who Loved Me. So we're going to go to James Bond once again with our friend from the UK, Tom Frankland. Waiting for that sweet, sweet Roger Moore action. And who wouldn't? Nobody does it better. The, the, the jury is still out on, you know, on that one. <laughs> I have nothing else to add. If you're ready, I will exit the premises. Let's do it as fast as possible at this point. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's Vitania. Goodbye. See ya. Unexpectedly disconnected. Okay, I, I guess Curry left us. Yeah, that bastard did. God damn it, you.